Welcome to the Messy Progress Podcast, the show that will give you the courage and confidence to get messy, uncaged, and liberated so that you're living your most vibrant life. I'm your host, Adrian Smith, and I'm so stoked that you're here. Let's jump right in. This episode is with my good friend, Libby Costello. Libby was the second team member of the official LAT35 women's team. She's 26 years young and lives in Oakland, California. She shared the bow cabin with me on our row across the Pacific Ocean, and we were fast friends because of Libby's humor, her candor, quick wit, and we laughed so much, more than humanly possible, during Libby's breakfast-making shift the first week of the row. So how the position of the boat works, just to give a little bit more clarity around it, There's the front of the boat, which is the bow. There's the back of the boat, which is the stern. When you're rowing a boat, you always feel like you're going backwards because your back is to the direction that you're heading. So we sat in the bow seat and we traded off. So when I would be rowing, Libby would be either resting, doing a chore, or planning the next playlist for typically the sunset shift with Brooke. And so how it worked on our team was that When you weren't resting, or I should say when you weren't rowing, you were doing something else. And if you weren't doing something else, you were sleeping. So it's kind of that simple. And to make us each have the most time that available for sleeping is one person would be responsible for making a meal. And then another person would be responsible for making another meal. And it was for the whole team. So Libby was responsible for making breakfast. I made lunch. Brooke made our first dinner and DJ made the second dinner. Now, mind you, these were just one meal and you could eat essentially at any time that you wanted to, but at least you wouldn't have to be preparing the meals each time that you wanted to eat. So you were freed up to then just sleep and eat when you're in your off shift. My favorite time of the day was our sunset shift when I got to sit on deck and eat my dinner with Libby and Brooke both rowing. And my second favorite shift was when Libby would make breakfast and especially the first week. So a little bit of context about how things started because I've gotten a lot of questions recently about the body's ability to adapt and the fact that we weren't sleeping a lot blows most people's minds because most of us can't even imagine ourselves not getting, say, six hours of sleep at the minimum on a regular basis. And I know myself personally is if I have even one night at home that I've only gotten six hours of sleep, I'm really looking forward to either napping later or being able to go to bed later to to recover from not getting enough sleep for myself. So how does one go from that sort of a lifestyle where you're sleeping in a really comfy bed regularly to sleeping just 90 minutes or so in any one given period of time. Well, first off, the body is really magical and it's able to adapt. So I just want to highlight that as a thing that everybody needs to remember when you're starting something new for yourself. It takes some time to get used to some new pattern It took us some time as well. And so one of the things that we did to prepare was that we brought pre-prepared food for the first couple days. So we didn't have, we also brought water. 
um, that was pre-made. So we didn't have to run our water maker. We didn't have to cook and boil water for our jet boil. We ate pizza. We ate peanut butter and jelly sandwiches. We ate bagels and cream cheese, just things that were pre-prepared. We also had fruit the first couple of days. So oranges and apples and carrots and we just did the best that we could to not have to spend any extra time making food so that during that time we could sleep. And it was around day four or day five or so that we began our meal shift preparation. So Libby would make food. I would be rowing from seven to 9 a.m. And during that time at seven, the sun would be coming up and well, actually it was probably up a lot earlier, but later on is, you know, the, the sun changed because we were out there for 30 some days. Um, it was kind of darker and we're heading West. So imagine, you know, every morning, every one of us wakes up and on land and you're in the same place. So the sun just changes gradually. Like what is it? Three, four minutes a day, but we're heading West to a different time zone, three hours, essentially earlier, but we stayed on the same shift. So we kept our clocks the same is what I'm saying. 7 a.m., Libby would make breakfast. And the way that we had our boat set up is I was in the bow cabin, like I mentioned, and she would share the seat with me. So when she was in her rest shift or off shift and it was her turn to make a meal, she would be in the middle in what we called our lounge. And our lounge was where we cooked, where we went to the bathroom, where we washed our hair, shaved our legs, um, sometimes made phone calls, made videos, just laid down on the boat, which seems really weird because you really couldn't lay down on deck. And I, I bring that up the laying down portion because I envisioned a little bit more of lounging on deck, not like catamaran style when you're, you know, in Honduras or something and you've got all this space, but literally I had my head rested on one side of the boat. And then I would have my feet resting on the other side of the boat because the boat was only five feet wide. But in this space is where Libby would cook breakfast and she'd face me while she cooked and we would just laugh and tell stories and just we'll talk about it in, in our conversation about how kind of insane what we were doing was. And a lot of how we got through that was laughter was we would just look at each other and just start laughing so while she's making breakfast, we're telling stories, we're making up stories, we're we're coming up with creative dia- ideas about making children's books, children's yoga classes, um, just funny ideas. And then one of the things that came up that was really funny was we were telling stories about like, let's imagine you're in a yoga class and you're taking chair pose. We were like, let's pretend like we're on the rowing boat taking chair pose, but pretend you're actually sitting on top of a bucket. And your chair has to move constantly side to side because when you're going to the bathroom on this boat, the boat doesn't stop moving. So sometimes we would like slide off of the bucket when we were peeing or pooping. Now, a lot of you can't picture this scene, but I can picture it just like it was yesterday. And really, truly, the only way to get through all of these moments when we're holding onto the grab lines and sitting on the bucket, either peeing or trying to poop so that we could just get it done with and go back to sleep or get back on the oars. The only way that you can get through that is with humor and lightness. And Libby is masterful at finding smiles and laughter and fun everywhere. Like I said, she was the first of 
the teammates to join DJ on this adventure. Her and DJ were teammates at UCLA. Libby was a year younger than DJ and they stayed in really close touch after Libby graduated. And when DJ brought this adventure up to Libby, she immediately said yes. Kind of like, when does training start? A few things about Libby too, just to share is Libby loves stand-up comedy. She loves math. She loves music, especially the Jonas Brothers, beaches, movie trailers, burritos, and Thai food. Not the Thai food that we ate out of the bags on the boat, to be specific. She's currently an environmental engineer. She likes working on projects with trash and recycling. If you ever need to know how to get rid of your old clothes or just stuff and you don't want to throw it in the trash, she is your girl. Recently, I asked her, why did you say yes to this row? Right now, what's your answer to that question? And she said, in quotes, I was ready to feel again. And I wanted to be the friend that I had for other people. Um, I was thinking about, because I talked to DJ earlier today. Mm -hmm. It was, it's fun because we, I feel like when we got to land, we just like scattered like cockroaches when lights get turned on. Uh And not because there was anything wrong with anyone or like we didn't want to see each other anymore. It was just like, and we're complete. And now all of our people want to be around us. And, Mm. uh, and I, some of my most fondest memories of the entire journey was the first week when (laughs) we were just like constantly laughing at the insanity (laughs) of what we were doing. And it was when I would be rowing and you would be in the lounge in the middle. Making breakfast. Yeah. And, um, that was so fun. That that was some of my, like, I was thinking of like whoops and poops of like the whole row and definitely like making breakfast with you was, was, uh, one of the earliest whoops. Yeah. What were some other whoops? Cause you don't have to have just one, obviously. Yeah. Um, and I, I also had a similar feeling about how we sort of scattered and I think it was like a respectful way, like when we landed, because, you know, there had been people that had come to see us and kind of over the course of the row, a lot of between the phone calls and the emails, it was like nice to have our like micro, um, world, but it was also very, um, controlled within just the bounds of the boat and then the rest of the ocean. So it's like, we were all together and it was so wonderful and we didn't have an option to be with anybody else. Um, but then knowing that there were so many people that made the trip to then greet us was like, it, it was only kind of respectful to let everybody like get their fill with other people because you're like, I just got to be so present for the last 34 days with, you know, these, these three teammates and friends of mine. So I, I think, yeah, it wasn't, we didn't scatter for like any reason other than just to like see some different people, but it was, um, it was nice when we had to like go back the next day and clean some of the boat stuff. And it was just got to like, shower and be with each other like standing up (laughs) (laughs) yeah after having slept a full night you know what's funny is that I we didn't really talk about the post row stuff like we got guidance on you know everything leading up to the row the preparation of the row things that you're going to handle when you're out on the row but no one talked to us about the post row and Mm -hmm. 
I did not know. I was not aware that the Mm -hmm. first day back, number one, that we were going to have an alarm that we had to set to get to an interview, which I'm not going to be mad about champagne problems, but I Mm -hmm. also did not know that we were going to have to clean our entire boat ourselves. Hmm. Well, we didn't clean it all ourselves because our friends, our friends and family came in and helped while we were doing some of the interview stuff. And they just, if nothing else, they pulled everything out for us, which was great because there was some really grimy stuff in there, like old food bags that had just been soaked in whatever says salt water and like the buildup of, of other stuff. So probably some, some flying fish that had just like made their way into the gunnels. Everyone got a little taste. Everyone got a little taste of those. Um, but yeah. It was like for, I, I better, obviously my parents are past, so they weren't there, but like, um, and Brooks, I think it was Brooks parents, maybe that who helped like pull some of the dirty, gross things. But, um, <laughs> yeah. I feel like it's kind of like going into your kid's college dorm Yeah, <laughs> and they didn't know what they were getting into. Yeah. You just come with like in kind of like a semi hazmat suit. You just got your gloves on and your, your goggles. And you're like, I don't know what this is going to smell like, but I'm here to help. And Fumigate. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. I, it made sense because I think each of us were going to also different parts of kind of Honolulu. So that next day after was kind of the only logical day that we would all still be so close to the yacht club because uh, the lat 35 team didn't like dictate our schedule after we had finished. So from a logistics standpoint, it, it makes sense. Um, and I was glad that we got to just kind of finish it up and like tie up those, those ends that day, but it would definitely, I was really tired at the, at the end of the day. Cause I was like, wow, I've gotten the most sleep that I have in a month. And yet I'm still so out of breath. So yeah. I'm just, being upright for so long and like lifting things and moving things and being in the sun, but I was not in my normal sun gear. I was like in a short sleeve shirt and shorts or something. And I was, my skin was like, what is this? Yeah. <laughs> well, part breathe. of it too was like not having a breeze, which we were yeah, lucky that, I, I mean, I didn't know that the choice of our seat was going to be such the better choice because of <laughs> not only having more space in our cabin, but also the breeze that came from facing um, more the easterly direction, as well as not having the front or the back of the boat directly in front of us. Uh, So I feel like we totally won. Totally. I would recommend the bow cabin to anybody who's rowing an ocean. Um, The one downside is that you are downwind, usually of the bathroom bucket. And I remember you saying, I never want to see another human being go to the bathroom again. But aside from that, I think it was actually totally fine. Um, and I don't, I would, I didn't even mind being downwind of, of the bathroom bucket, like, because people were downwind of me when I had to use it. So I was like, somebody's got to do it. And if it means that I get to stretch my whole legs out when I'm laying down in the cabin, then so be it. <laughs> yeah. I was thinking about like how it would be like someone's going to the bathroom and you know, most people don't go to the bathroom with their three closest friends for an, <laughs> over a month. And, um, you know, I've had to go to the bathroom with Reese, as you know, and we have yeah. our thing the whole time on the boat. It's like, call you when I'm done. But, uh, <laughs> yeah. It's funny because that's continued for so long. But I also now she's like getting a little older and it's sort of like we're in the bathroom together. And I'm just like, 
it's smelly in here and I don't know where to look because there is like a part of going to the bathroom that's just like a private endeavor. Yeah. And when we were on the boat, I remember that being like, okay, well, I'm not looking, but I, and I have all these places to look around me, <laughs> but it's sort of like the person's pooping right in front of my face. <laughs> yeah. I almost, I would like usually try to not look them in the eye, but sometimes we would just like hold eye contact. And then I would know when they were done, they would know that I'm like supporting them. <laughs> and like, yeah, exactly. I would just be like, I'm here and you're there. And this is just funny. Like we would just laugh and stuff. I would try to make Brooke laugh and I would really disrupt her <laughs> routine sometimes. But um, yeah, I, I also sometimes didn't know where to look. And I was like, well, most of the time I'm wearing sunglasses. So it, 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 you couldn't really even see where I, yeah, where I was, but yeah, I just wanted to know when they washed the bucket because then it didn't smell bad anymore. Totally. <laughs> what were some of your pre-row highs and lows before we even took off? Um, before we took off, my pre-row, like my pre-row, pre-row whoops and poops were, I think for the whoops, I really liked um whoops were weekly meetings it just felt like a really solid like routine piece and it felt like a nice connection point to have and to see kind of our incremental progress every week and like the action items would change and we would check things off and that was really great just structurally to have in in the calendar and it gave me something to look forward to like if nothing else then I would see you guys on Monday and that was always like fun for me um and the training trips in Santa Barbara and getting to do like hands-on stuff. Um, and when we would do our, our rows out and back, uh, big whoop was when the dolphin pod came for our, I think we were like eight miles out or something and doing a, a training triangle. That was great. Um, and another whoop is that it kind of forced me to get some new clothes and I'm pretty reluctant to, get new things. And, um, I was in a space in my life where I just needed like new things and they happened to align with what we needed for the row. So I was like, this is great. Um, it really put, pushed me to, to take care of myself in that way. Is there um, anything that you've thrown out that you, after the row, cause you don't throw anything away mostly. So I, or you, I like, don't use, um, I've, I've used it. I've either used everything or I like lend it to people. Like I'm lending, a, um, one of the uh, sun shirts and one of my pair of sun pants to my friend who's like traveling in the mountains right now. I'm lending our true work highlighter jacket and our merino wool sweatpants to a friend who's doing like a week long bike trip. And so like the gear comes in handy for kind of multiple things. And so I try to share it if it's not something that I use regularly, but I wear like a bunch of our shirts most of most of the week at some point in my own life or in my own training. So a lot of it still still comes in use. Um, I remember I had a, a first date with someone like in September and I was wearing the, a pink sun shirt that I had got for the row. And I had I had texted her like, OK, I'm going to be in the pink sun shirt and like white shorts or something. And I didn't realize that I was going to wear that outfit like most of the time that we were seeing each other. And she said something at some point. She was like, you really like to wear the same clothes, don't you? And I didn't notice it, but that pink shirt is actually like one of my favorite shirts. Um, so I do wear it all the time. And I was like, yeah, I didn't realize that when I first met you, I would also just be wearing this for like 
every pretty much every other time that I would see you. I swear that I own other things, but I, they just don't come out as often. <laughs> so well, it's kind of like that with clothes. I mean, I just actually went through like a bunch of my stuff because I was like, I don't wear these things. And some of these are, I, I just went, went through everything and decided that we're going to do a little clothing exchange at my studio because there's swap. so many good clothes. Like I have tons so of, many. so many. Um, And none. there's nothing, some of them are like, I actually pulled out my um, merino wool underwear, like five yeah. pairs, which I never actually wore on the boat because yeah. the seams were in a bad spot. But um, yeah. I was thinking, you know, most of the clothes that I wear are like the top three things of all the layers of stuff. So like, these are my favorite socks. These mm-hmm. are my favorite running shorts. I'm like, why do I even have the other six years yeah. I don't like yeah. them they're not my favorite and yeah. um I'm currently wearing a pair of running shorts that Jason got me for Christmas several years ago and I had just gone to the gym and as yeah. I was walking back from the gym I pulled open my phone and a picture popped up from a trip that we took to Hawaii like several mm-hmm. years ago and mm-hmm. in the picture was uh me wearing the same running shorts that I had today and I was yeah. like, oh my gosh, these, you know, there is a point with athletic clothes that like we got to get rid of them because they just get really stinky and yeah, you can't get the smell out. But yeah. um, have you ever thought, or do you know of any, because you're in this like recycled world of apparel and things that you can lend and borrow of like it, just a place or a, um, I don't know, a website or something where people can borrow each other's adventure gear because adventure gear is something that I don't need to use every day. I don't need dry bags mm. most of the time. I don't yeah. go sea fishing on a regular basis. Um, yeah. I go without 90% of the things for adventure mm-hmm. most of my life. Yeah. So it exists. Yeah. I don't, I'd have to look into, I'll look into this after afterwards. I'm not so sure about like a lending site. I know more about like resale markets and stuff. And like resale sites where you would just like use your adventure gear once and then you put it up on this website and then someone else will buy it and use it because it's like only lightly used kind of thing. Yeah. Um, but I'll I'll see if there's um, any resources for kind of like borrowing and stuff. So usually like that should just be like a garage that, you know, you yeah, can, like a library, like check out this thing, bring it back. What's the yeah. date? And if you don't yeah. bring it back, then this is how much it costs. I don't know. I feel yeah. like. I could use that because it's, I don't like taking all the time to, to search online for, oh, I need a pair of walking sticks for this adventure that I'm going to do once. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So you're doing a big adventure in a couple months. In September. Speaking of walking sticks, (laughs) I was just just talking with somebody about, about them. And the person that I was talking with is also doing the run. I'm doing a a hundred mile trail run with some of my, um, friends from Los Angeles who got me into trail running. And I was taking a survey on if they were, who was using poles and who was not using poles. I do not have poles currently, and I haven't used them. And my general philosophy is to try to use, like rely on as little as possible, just so that like you're as flexible as possible. And it's not like if a pole breaks or something, then you're like, Oh my God, I can't race anymore because I don't have this thing that I'm dependent on. And so I kind of get to the point where I'm like, okay, if they can improve your performance and you have them great, but if you don't have them or something happens to them in the interim of like the start and the finish, then like your race is not lost. Like you're not gonna, you know, 
be be upset or super um dis like upset by it yeah so but yeah i'm doing a we're training for a hundred mile race in southern oregon and that's that's the next thing on the calendar that's, that's the other thing with, with the row that was great was we were only we only used like it was like four shirts three shorts two pants like a handful of underwear a handful of socks which is like kind of how i live my life anyway and so to have everything that you wear like in a bag was like really easy for me to to pack so when i felt like i was practicing packing for the row every time i came to santa barbara which was kind of fun and yeah i want to i want to finish your original question with the whoops that i feel like i had a lot of a lot of whoops that were like very small like moments like our graduating from our sea survival class and like when when everybody kind of took to us and like wanted to take pictures with us and um just the air of being able to like stand up for ourselves in some of our like management meetings and um when we put the boat in the water for the first time and we were like this is something that we're going to be really um capable and independent and being able to drive the trailer and being able to like as a team of people who none of us had done it before to be witness to the moments of like growth and um just seeing uh like a proof of concept of like we can do this like we can drive the trailer we can get the boat in the water and we as long as somebody teaches us how to do it the first time like we are totally capable of taking it of taking over that that task which was kind of a really cool thing for just a team of effectively like amateurs um so i think those were big whoops some of the poops were um I just remember being really exhausted like every single day for months because of waking up and then doing like our two two hour session and then like working for most of the day and then I would take maybe an hour of a break and take a walk or something and then always knowing that I would like get back online to do one of our trainings or our certifications and I would do that for like another two or three hours and just kind of chipping away at everything in the evening times. And then it would get to like nine or 10 and it was just time to go to bed. And I would like set the alarm for like four 30 or five again. And I just to do that, like on repeat, just weeks at weeks on end um, was if it felt like a lot, like there were points at which I was like, I don't know if I can do this. And I think I also felt pretty alone for a lot of the training. Cause I was before Brooke had moved to Santa Barbara I was like the, the only member of the team that was not, didn't accessibly have like a training partner that was also training for the same thing. So part of me felt like a little bit removed and I had to really rely on myself to wake up and to do all two hours or all 14 hours of the ERG or whatever it was. Oh yeah. <laughs> so Cause I you think- missed some of those big sessions that we were able to do together that. Yeah even like I can, I can remember when Brooke was living at my house and she was doing her two hours on two hours off for how many ever sessions that was in my garage. And and like, we were able to do a couple of her last ones where I did them with her or like we watched the same crap television together. And it was just like little moments like that where we didn't talk at all, but it was, there was something about we're doing this together. Yeah. Did you have anyone in the Bay Area when you were um, training that did any 
was able to participate with any parts of this with you, even if it was like the hiking things that we did or lifting? There was one day that we had to, that our assignment was like a two hour erg, a one hour run, a two hour erg, and then another one hour run or something like that. It was like a six, it was like six hours nonstop. And I had a teammate, a a previous teammate of mine meet me for the run that was in the middle hour. So I erged for two hours on my own. And then she met me for the run in the middle. And then I had messaged this former Olympian who also lived in the Bay Area who had like come talk to our college team while DJ and I were at UCLA one time. And I was just like, hey, I'm going to be erging an insane amount on Saturday. (laughs) And I don't know if you erg at all anymore, but I have no training partners (laughs) and I've never erged for this long on my own because we hadn't done the 14 hour day yet. So that six hours was going to be like the max that I had done in a day. And I was just like, I was wondering if you or anybody that you know would want to like erg alongside me at like 20 strokes a minute for anywhere between 30 and 120 minutes, let me know. And I would like just appreciate the company, honestly. And she showed up, she came for like the last hour and then she did part of like the run with me. So, and that, that was my, my only training partner, all my lifting sessions, all my runs, all the ergs. Cause I would erg in my backyard and I would lift at the Y in the morning And I would run distances that none of my friends either can run because of recovering injuries or wanted to run because of agency. And (laughs) so I would, I would just like sometimes send somebody a text and be like, I'm just going to text you when I'm done. And this is my, my form of like teamship. But yeah, aside from that workout. And then sometimes I'd be erging in my backyard and my neighbor's DJ's parents would like put a sign over the fence that said like, go Libby, go. And that was like very sweet and endearing. But yeah, a lot of, a lot of my training was just, it was alone and it was, it was probably what I needed or had benefited a lot from it in ways that I don't know, because it's like very meditative to me, but it, it just felt like it took a lot of activation energy, like almost every day to start and then to finish. So it was definitely good practice, but I'd say it was more on the poop side that it was kind of isolated for so many hours. I feel like of all of us, you were probably the most social. Like (laughs) I, even though Brooke lived with me and then DJ and obviously Jason and they would do their lifts together. I was always Mm -hmm. fine doing my lift on my own. Well, Mm -hmm. I should say I was fine doing my lift on my own when I did do the lifts. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Um, And Because to people who are listening is uh, when you were talking about the 14 hour row, I'm like, did I participate in that? Or did I just boycott some of the training? Because I was like, I'm not doing that. I remember you did. You did do the 14 hour one though. Yeah. Yeah. Um, But just like lifting and things like people always ask the questions of, you know, what did you do for training and what did it look like? How they, everyone thought the training was so much more of like getting long distance miles. And I yeah. did beforehand of getting long distance miles. Yeah. See, which we did do those things, but there are so many points of, and what you're describing of being by yourself and dealing with like that mental battle of starting something, like how many times, six times a day we had to get, um, yeah. 
the deck to row every single day to use the word like activation energy. It's like, it takes a lot to like lift yourself out of bed, pull your wet clothes on, lay back down and try not to fall back asleep, but then fall back asleep. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. But I think the other thing that was about training and we, we, I think all talked about this as a team is that like, we had all come from athletic hit. We all had our own athletic histories and kind of our own focus points that needed to be catered to in this training for the row. And there was like an element of, even though we weren't all together because of schedules or geography or both as much as there was like a baseline of, we need to be doing some amount of volume, some amount of lifting, everyone had to be doing some amount of core and like PT exercises. There was certain differences in the programs, even though we were all training for the same thing, we're like four different people. So it's like, you did less lifting because of your athletic history. And Brooke had to do more PT with her shoulder and stuff and ribs because of her athletic history. And I was really wanted to focus on like injury prevention and like getting the nutrition piece right because of my history. And it was just like, everybody had different elements of the physical training that was like emphasized more or less. So like there was a piece of it that you would see your program and know that everyone was doing some version of that, but you were getting your own individual version of it. And that was going to be like what best set you up to come to the, to the start line. Um, But there did have to be that element of, you know, I'm, we're all adults. Like I'm not going to micromanage you. We all, made the mission statement together. We all know that we have a start date in June and just being able to be like, if you're not doing the lift, then I trust it. That's like the best thing for you. And if you know, you need to do more flexibility stuff or more volume or more intervals or more of the eye exercises. And like, that's how you're using your time. Like there's only so much time in the day and you need to use it in like the way that's most efficient for you. I love that you're bringing this up because I've forgotten parts of these things. Like I remember feeling apprehension and a lack of trust, not from anyone else, but coming from myself when, especially because Jason lived in my household. And then every once in a while, when I would go down like some stupid spiral of negativity or worry or doubt is that I would share with him something that was external. Like, I don't know if someone's doing enough or whatever. And that reminder that, I mean, this goes for all of life, right? It's like, we're doing this thing together. And we are trusting each other that we're going to be as prepared as we possibly can be. And even in life in general, like I can't control what anyone else does, but as long as we were communicating those things together at different points in time of kind of how we did in our team meetings of like, this is what's going on with me. This is physically what's going on. This is emotionally what's going on. This is what I need. And then making sure that we were actually telling the truth um, versus not and this I is like some kind of polished version of what we thought people might want to hear in those meetings as yeah. opposed to like what was like an authentic representation of what we were like feeling in that in that moment or in that meeting or whatever yeah I like that polished version because <laughs> one thing that I was talking to DJ about that I'd love to get your uh, kind of insider opinion on is you know, so much of the things that like we, we, we had to handle a lot in, in both the preparation and then out while we were at sea and we all were taking in information and sharing information in the way that was unique to us as people, which Mm -hmm. you talked about the physical part of like, we were each handling our physical 
training in this way. And DJ mm-hmm. was, we're all unique. And then DJ was sharing with me. She's like, we're all such different people, like yeah. character, the way that we talk, the way that we operate are like issues that we have all these things. And I'm like, yeah, we totally are. And like, it's taken some time for me to like, look back and reflect on how we are all so different. And yeah. yet at the same time, it's my, my question is we had meetings every day. Oh, while we were on the boat. We had meetings every day. And mm-hmm. we were always sharing every time that we had a meeting, every single one of us shared what was physically mm-hmm. going on with us, emotionally, how we were feeling, yeah, what we needed, and if there was anything to clear. Yeah. And what you had said about the polished version of ourself, you know, sharing those things. Did mm-hmm. you ever feel like you withheld any information based because and I, I say this with because. Did you ever withhold any information because it didn't need to be shared? It was just something you were dealing with internally. And it was like, not for everybody else to just be like, I'm feeling tired and overwhelmed and blah, 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 blah. Or, um, or did you just let it all out? There may have been like one or two days where I said everything that I was feeling but I also had an idea of something that I was just processing. And I was like, I don't think I need to share it like with the group. And I think I maybe had talked about it with one or two people that was on deck. And I was like, Hey, I didn't bring this up in the meeting earlier. Cause it like, wasn't a complete thought at that time. And it's not a big deal now. Cause I've worked it out, but I just want to let you know that I've like had my, I've like completed the cycle of the, of whatever the stress cycle was. And it was, it was something like, a shift change that was really slow or like not being, it was maybe like an interaction or something, but it was, it was small. And I, and I had kind of, once I was describing like the completion of whatever that stress cycle was, I was like, if it happens again, then I'll bring it up. But if it doesn't happen again, like I'm, I'm at peace with whatever the, the instance was. So I think yeah, but that only happened maybe once or twice. And the only reason that I didn't bring it up was because it probably happened kind of in the middle of the day. And so by the time the next meeting came, it kind of felt re- either resolved or irrelevant. But um, usually I it was a good practice. And just like if I had something on my mind and there was someone else on deck, which there always was, then and I felt like it couldn't wait until the next meeting, then I would have kind of like a mini clearing with them. I, if, if they were involved in it, or if it was just like a personal thing that I wanted to like work out. But, um, for the most part, no, I really leaned into the space of, all right, well, we made these meetings to be where we're going to just be whatever we are. And we're going to say what we want to say and say what we need. And I tried to like practice that in the, and even though I tried to practice that in like the best way that I could by being really honest with it even though sometimes I wasn't sure if I was doing it right. And sometimes I was like, I don't actually know if I have any needs, which was a really new practice for me because I have been one to try to not have a lot of needs. And so when we were doing that over the course of the preparation and then also the row, it was like a new area for me. So in that way, I was like as authentic as I knew how to be every time that we did it. And I there was not like a 24 hour period that went by that I was like withholding something. If it hadn't come out at 8am when we did our meeting, it would have come out in the middle of the day or during one of the night shifts or something. And so it, every, everything got 
all the all the ends got tied. Yeah, but, I like that you said that yeah. I was as authentic as I could be at that moment in time because it. I, I agree. For me, it was similar, or I can relate because when we mm-hmm. first were doing more of the preparation mm-hmm. of, of everything and sharing what we needed, there would be times where I'm like, I think I'm good. And then yeah. we'd, we'd get like the list of possible needs. And I'm like, oh no, I need to be heard. <laughs> like, and I, I'm getting the chills because like that was a practice that I wasn't used to. And instead yeah. what I used to do was like project or blame or make myself yeah. the victim of some circumstance. And really, truly it was like, no, I'm, I, I mean, some of the, some of the things were physical where like, I need some sleep. I need to stretch. <laughs> Yeah, I need to stretch. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and I mean, it's funny because it, it, alone time, especially as you're talking about like the preparation for the row, for you, it was like a lot of, a lot more alone time mm-hmm. when it came to, you know, like there, there's no one in your world that was doing what we were doing. And in my yeah. world, there were so many people doing what we were doing that I wanted them yeah. all to go away. <laughs> <laughs> we should have just, we should have freaky Friday, Adrian. I, I could have run this studio. I could have been in Santa Barbara. You could have had all the alone time in the world in Berkeley. <laughs> oh my God. With, is there anything that you would tell the, like, I, and I say the younger version of yourself just because it was like last year, but like yeah. in preparation, wh- when exactly, we'll start with this one for actually first is when DJ first decided to do this and she reached out to you to do mm-hmm. this adventure. Mm-hmm. When was that? That was March of 2021. Okay. So yeah. you guys went together to the launch of the Great Pacific Row that June 2021, right? Yeah, I think it was like end of May, but yeah, it was, um, or maybe the first week of June, but yeah, in 2021, we, we did go to the launch of the race, knowing that we were going to be launching like the next year. Cause we had said yes to it. Cool. So then between March of 2021, when you said yes to us launching in June of 2022, mm-hmm. now that you know what you know, and you've experienced what you've gone through. Is there anything that you would tell yourself at any point in time between that, like whatever that is, 14 month time span, 15 mm-hmm. months that um, like advice you would give yourself? I think the, the length of time that the row was going to be, which was like inevitably going to be a couple of weeks was difficult for me to conceptualize. So at the end of every workout, I would just have this question of like, am I doing enough? And that would be from like a physical point of view and from a mental point of view and kind of on whatever my bike ride home from the gym would be, or my like cool down lap or whatever it would be. I would sort of think of what could I be doing more? And it was just that, that question of, it came from a place of caution and wanting to be so prepared but I never really felt prepared until kind of the last couple of, of months when we had to stand up for ourselves a little bit in getting the boat down to Santa Barbara and making a lot of decisions about whether and whether to go out. And kind of when I had to, I stepped into the role of like, I'm not worried about it. And I actually was like projecting that for the first couple of weeks. And then it really came 
like the more that I said it and the more that I thought about all of the stuff that we had done to prepare, I started to believe it. And I think when other people started to fall off their tracks a little bit of like, are we going to have everything in time? Are we going to, because of with all the supply chain stuff and the training, but I think I would, the advice that I would give myself would to be, would apply to the row and to my life in general, just like doubt yourself less. Like you don't need to constantly be doubting yourself and like wondering if you're doing enough, if you are enough, if you were like the right person to have been asked to do this adventure. It's just like, you're doing great. Keep doing great and just keep showing up like every day and every shift. And that all adds up to more than you can, can conceptualize right now. But like, it was like laying the foundation and I just had this worry of like, if the foundation was going to be solid enough. So I think I would, my only advice would just be like to relax a little bit and doubt a little bit less because yeah. you're like doing, doing it right. Yeah. I love that. Cause I, I remember in an interview you and I were on with, I think it was one of your, your UCLA rowing coach. I don't, I don't even know what happened to that interview. I don't think I ever saw it afterwards or they write something up. Do you remember? Yeah. Yeah. I think, I don't know. I thought DJ was on the UCLA one. No, she was supposed to be. That was the, maybe it was another oh. one, but I was on with one of your coaches and I okay. just remember you talking about, it was like yeah. the first time I had heard that phrase of like brick by brick, like laying the foundation. And I think it came from both you and him. And mm -hmm. it was looking back now. It's like, oh yeah, every day we were laying a brick. Yeah. Some days we were laying more bricks than others. And yes. it felt like every day had to be like, you know, complete an entire driveway day. Yeah. <laughs> it just wasn't fathomable because we were doing it in such a speedy timeline as well as yeah, there was just things outside of our control that we couldn't do anything about and in, including like how many hours there are in the day. So yeah. Yeah. I love that. That's kind of your lesson to yourself because, you know, as, as, as I've come back from this and been on the other side of productivity, like, yeah, I, I am doing so much less and it's remarkable how much still has occurred, even though I've done less, like yeah, that, the productive version of myself. And I'll always like, I've been journaling a ton and like, I'll catch myself being like, I feel super lazy. I'm super lazy or I'm, I'm being super lazy. And I'm like, one of my friends this last week, she caught me in my, when I was speaking about something, she's like, Adrian, I don't think that you're tired. I think you're just relaxed. And it's like, <laughs> oh man, maybe that's what it is. It's like, I don't even know that version of myself because I've yeah. never myself. It's an odd, it's an odd feeling. Yeah. <laughs> so now you're training for this hundred mile run. Yeah. Yeah. So oh, wait, I, I just, I just thought okay, of a, one, one more poop actually for sure, the preparation piece. And I feel like you'll, you'll relate to this as well. I feel like a big poop was fielding unsolicited advice and external doubt from strangers, family, anybody who had seen an ocean before <laughs> and just felt like they had something to say about it. I mean, I've seen an ocean before. I love that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I think, I think that was, that was probably the, the biggest poop in the preparation. I felt like we could, ha we handled a lot of the pieces 
to get uh, together as a team really well. So even in the more stressful moments or difficult conversations or decisions that seemed like big decisions at the time and, and proved to be, or even small decisions that we didn't know would be so impactful. Those weren't so much, you know, points of, of lowness as it was to just kind of constantly be hearing people either saying we should be doing it a different way that they didn't think we could finish or that they didn't want us to do it because it was too dangerous. And it reminded me a lot of the night of manic rowing when we were told to throw out the anchor as like the thing to do with our best for our best interests and safety. And I was just like, I also don't think that we have to do that. I think that we're very capable of just rowing through this as long as we show up on deck as our best selves and like put in our best effort. And I was like, and maybe we will throw out the anchor. I don't know, but I don't think we have to do that first. And I think a lot of people's initial reactions were like, you know, you don't have to row an ocean. And I was like, do you know that I want to row an ocean? Like that was my, my thing to like offset the understanding of some people. They were like, please don't do it. I know you feel like you have to. And I was like, no, 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 I don't have to do anything. I want to do this. And it is going to be hard and it is going to bring me to my knees some days and I'll be crying, but it's because I care so much about it that I just want it to happen well. And that's what happens when you care about something. You know, what's so interesting is that I was in the cabin when that manic rowing call was made. So even though this is the really interesting thing for anyone listening is like anyone that was watching our little dot travel from San Francisco to Honolulu. Yeah. That's all that they really saw. And then there's yeah. the people that are closer in that like can read weather reports. Yeah. Or that had rode an ocean before. And so they have just a little bit more information than what we had. And then yeah. there's me, a human being that's a part of this four woman team that is yeah. also on the ocean with this group. But mm-hmm. I'm just in a cabin not witnessing the environment at the time. Yeah. And I didn't even know that all of that had happened until we were, um, I was listening to the interview and the podcast on REI. (laughs) When you were recounting it all, I was like, I didn't know that that, I mean, part of it maybe was just like selective memory, but all I remember was that I got, I was sleeping soundly and it was like, what is it? Night two, right? Yeah. Yeah. It was the second night. And there was a knock on the cabin and it's like, Adrian, we got to throw the pair anchor out. And I was like, all I remember thinking when I was laying there was like, I don't want to get out of bed. I, yeah. I don't, don't want to get off the bench right now and, and go in for the team. Right? <laughs> don't put me in coach. <laughs> exactly. And I didn't even think about, like, I didn't think that thought through of like, if we throw the anchor out, this is what that means. Cause all I was responding to in that moment was like yeah. my human needs at that time, which was, I want to sleep. <laughs> and, <laughs> yeah. and also yeah. while I was in the cabin, you know, conditions wise, I didn't feel like the conditions were any different. Yeah. Well, I they had been like earlier. Yeah. I, they weren't any different than they had been the whole last 36 hours or whatever. And yeah. so you guys were on deck making the call. And I just remember like, all that I knew about that whole situation, in addition to what you had shared, was two things. One, I never actually did have to throw the pair anchor out. Yeah. Like the knock never came. I got to go back to sleep for how many hours? Yeah. 
And yeah, because I, like, yes. I think I said, I think I said we might have to throw the pair anchor out. I'll let you know in the next like 10 minutes. And yeah. you said, okay. And then you went I back. I think I had asked, like clarified. I was like, do I need to get ready now? And you're like, just be ready if we need to put it out. And I was like, okay, got it. Yeah. And it was still an if, but then I fell asleep. Yeah. Didn't need to do that. And then when I was shift changing, I just remember you saying like, this is going to be one of the fastest shift changes of all time. Like you need to get on deck as fast as possible. Yeah. So that's what happened. Like, but what was so interesting is like, that was the night of manic rowing is what we called it because we were like trying to row so fast. But what's so fascinating is that at nighttime, it always felt like we were going so fucking fast. It was like, we were flying. Oh, we were like a vortex. Yeah. But it's still like, we would look at the screen and be like, how are we still, I mean, I couldn't see the screen at nighttime very well because we would dim the lights a bunch. But I was yeah. like, how are we still going this slow? It feels it like, like 3.7, 3. 3. Yeah, but it felt like we were going like six or seven knots. Yeah. But that, I mean, that also it was the second night. So we still really hadn't found our feel with like, with feeling out the water in the dark and it was cloudy and it was a new moon. So it was kind of the darkest it had ever been. We hadn't figured out like our headlamp situation yet and how we wanted how we wanted to wear them and when we wanted to wear them. So there was just a lot of like disorienting and factors happening at that time. But I, I do remember when you like peeked the cabin out and you're like, okay, so we didn't throw out the anchor. What's the deal? And I was like, Adrian, you listen to me. <laughs> do the fastest shift change we have done to date right now. And I like, I was like, step by step, here's what's going to happen. You're going to jump in. I'm going to keep rowing. I'm going to strap your feet in. You're going to grab one of the oars. And I was just like, and so you need to be like, if you got to pee, you pee. If you want to put on a jacket, you put on that jacket. Because once you get out on this deck, we are like, we have less than a minute because DJ cannot row alone. And that was actually, it was so, it's really fun to recount that in person because I do a lot of like hand motions to to make it known just like how extreme it felt at the time. And yeah, I, I remember being like, Adrian, this is your call up. Yeah. <laughs> we are going to do. <laughs> yeah. And it was it's funny. Cause I think where we were both sitting and you and I both like did like a couple times where we just like looked at each other when like there would have been like, you know, DJ and Brooke were doing discussion around like navigation. And I just remember so many times looking at you being like, you guys just tell me what to do. <laughs> yeah yeah and you and I would just be like you'd be rowing and I'd be eating something and we would just like exchange a glance and just keep rowing and keep eating something <laughs> yeah I think that's why it was like especially that first week was so funny because we would be like that's not our role and I'm like yeah stay in my lane I was like that's not my job <laughs> yeah um I'm thinking thinking about that whole um giving advice like unsolicited advice because that Mm. happened a lot and Mm. before we left especially is do you think it happened more because we were all first time ocean rowers or because we were all women or both I don't know I just got the chills so I I don't like sometimes I feel like when that happens I'm like ooh, that's such a good question um Mm. I feel like People just didn't want, they cared about us, number one. So it was like driven by like fear. Yeah. And 
most people don't have great communication skills when it comes to boundaries around, are you like, let's say I'm venting to you about something. Mm-hmm. Most, most people won't say, are you just venting? Do you want me to just listen? Or do you want my advice? Yeah. And I don't think anyone, 99% of people that I like live my life with don't Mm -hmm. like say those two things. And I'm working on doing that myself. Mm -hmm. And so I look back to the conversations that I had is I, I shared a lot of stuff with people who I like, who I loved. And then I'm, I'm also in, you know, an environment where I'm seeing a lot of people on a daily basis when I was Mm -hmm. in in my studio. So like, you know, every day I might see like 40 different people and 50% of them would ask me about it. And now looking back, I think, gosh, I really appreciate the people that was like, good for you. Like you get it. And, and how I used to, I used to not like those kinds of interactions because it seemed fake. Like I wanted to go deeper, Mm. you know, like ask me something that's more than, are you excited? You know, Ask me something more than even after the, after we got back of like, what was the hardest what, part? What was the hardest part? Yeah. Yeah. Or, and I'm like, can you just be, give me a more specific question, you know, because yeah. like, that's too general. Um, but some of my relationships of, with people, like including Jason, who is our coach, like at times I didn't even realize back to the needs thing that mm. I, I just needed to talk about it. And I didn't. Yeah. And I, for whatever reason, because, you know, again, like I said, is like there was Brooke who's living in my house, Jason also living in my house. Yeah. Having a daughter. Reese who calls you when she's done. Yeah. (laughs) But I also like, don't want to be in the energy of um, sharing energetically, like a worry feeling in my house with my daughter who knows I'm going out to see. Yeah. Like she doesn't even know what that means, but I don't want her to associate it with worry or anything. Yeah. And so I felt a little bit like I didn't utilize our team in that way of like just full on venting and sharing. Like I'm feeling like nervous and scared and all the things like instead, Mm -hmm. like I said, I would project and like blame something or whatever. Mm -hmm. And, and so with some people that were, I was close with, I would Mm -hmm. share a little bit more intimately. And Mm -hmm. then like, because I opened just like the little crack of doubt, then they mm-hmm. would take it. They would take it yeah. and run with it. And I'm like, yeah. looking back, I'm like, oh, I didn't set the boundary up to say like, I'm just venting. I yeah. don't want your advice. I just need to yeah. like share that I'm feeling this way. Can you just listen? Yeah. And then, yeah. um, because then when I would share the doubt, then they would share their doubt. It wasn't mm-hmm. like all those conversations were positive. It wasn't like, yeah. I just called a friend yesterday and was telling him how I was like, you know, I'm just like tired of putting together programs and like not having a lot of people show up. I'm like, it's just like a lot of effort. And he's like, Adrian, it's going to take some time. Like, it's okay. Like little steps, small progress, you know, like you said, like lay the bricks. And I was just like, yeah. cool. I was like, I needed more of people like that on my, that I was In, talking with. Like pre-row. Pre-row. Yeah. yeah. Because, um, and, and so I, I don't, I don't know that it was a thing of like, it was our first time, even though I do remember when someone's like said in an interview, like, do you feel like what you're doing is reckless because you've never had any of this experience? 
And I was like, mm-hmm. no, because I don't think anyone would give us all this money in a boat and say, here, go. Go be reckless. <laughs> go be reckless. Cause they, I just, yeah. I realized I was like, oh, other people were supporting us without saying that they were supporting us. They were just yeah. doing it by action. Right. Yeah. Um, and then I think like the woman thing, I don't even think it ever, it ever even occurred to me for some mm-hmm. reason. And I don't ever, I shouldn't say I don't ever, but not very often do I think that I'm held back because I'm a female. Yeah. I'm like, I feel like it's pretty awesome being a female. And I think it's yeah. it's shifting more in that direction of like, how cool is it that yeah. we have like all these amazing, like female superpowers to handle something physical like this, but also share our emotional side and like be able to differentiate the difference and be connected with each other and like hug each other and like want to be hugged and not, you know, and that's not necessarily, I shouldn't say female, but I think it's a feminine characteristic versus like a masculine one. Yeah. But yeah. What do you think? I think in, in the world of ocean rowing, it, it's a pretty male dominated field. So just in terms of like the coaches that are accessible, um, the programmers that are accessible, the boat makers that are accessible, the people who know the electronic wiring. Like if you think of most of our team, it was men. And I don't think that that's by mistake or coincidence. I just think that it happens to be more of a, a male dominated sport right now. And I think I was just more aware of that because of like the types of jobs that I've had also tend to be more male dominated jobs. So I've become aware of being like the one of a few or the only woman like on a team or in a meeting room or at a site visit or whatever it is. So I don't know if the advice or the doubts came from came from just kind of like the difference in the ratio of like men to women that are just in the ocean rowing world but I do remember thinking it was really important to get like advice from the shiros who are you know they were the four women team who did an outstanding job and I thought that there are a bunch of different resources that we could look into. And we kind of looked into all of them. And I remember knowing that they were going to have really specific advice just on what it's like to be a woman at sea that, I mean, for example, even when we took the boat out for the first time and Jason brought like a bottle or something to pee in. And I was like, Jason, we're not going to pee in a bottle. And that just like didn't cross his mind, which is totally fine because it's not something that he has to think about. But there are there I knew that there were going to be other circumstances that we were going to run into as women that all of the men in our world that we were learning from and interacting with maybe would not have thought about yet because they just hadn't had to experience it. And that's like no fault on them. But it's just like you had to go like an extra mile to kind of find the the resources of what it was like to do like an ocean row as a as a woman so it I think I think I'm just kind of aware of it and I don't see it as a as a hindrance or a limitation or anything but just as I become because I grew up not 
thinking that there was like a difference in in power or ability um, of being like like a male versus a female. And I think just in the last couple of years, I've become more aware of just like discrepancies in workplaces and in different lines of um, industry and in sports. And just as I've grown up, I didn't I didn't grow up thinking that women were smaller or lesser in any way. But I, as I've grown up, I've seen that that is a view that certain people are raised to believe and like have to break that. So as I become more aware of it, having not experienced that in my younger years, I think it's just something that I try to look out for. And I'm like sensitive to as to not like fall into that at an older age for, for some reason. So, well, and just to reference what we were talking about of the manic rowing night was the first piece of advice was to throw the anchor out. This is what you like, you should do you not have to do. I don't think that was ever thrown out there, but then Dawn had suggested and that she's a woman or not is like, no, like do this, then do this. And then if that doesn't work, right. Throw it out. And like, I wasn't a part of those conversations. So I didn't even know all of that had occurred. And after you shared that, when we were on that podcast, I was like, oh man, I love Dawn. I didn't even know. I love her more. Yeah. We love Dawn. And I yeah. think it's interesting because, you know, as a mom, um, I have learned that when you give people choices too, and they see you like allows them to see, it's a weird thing, but you're like, when you have a choice, you mm-hmm. actually realize much more of your potential. And it can be just as simple as choosing what clothes you wear. Like, yeah. but, um, what we brought, like what four different types of seat pads and yeah. You know, that was a smart choice because our butts didn't look like the guy's butts. And no. our butts looked great. Yeah. And like our skincare and our like we didn't look all weathered and gross afterwards because we made that a priority. And whether that was something like not to, you know, this is a guy's versus a girl's thing, but we were also like, this is important to us and we're gonna make sure to prioritize it. And yeah regardless of what someone else has to say, even when it was like shoe choice or something, or like, this is what I'm choosing and I'm going to stand up for myself to wear this thing. And I've done the due diligence to know that this is the right choice for me. Trust me. Yeah. Yeah. I think we did a lot of, we were told that it's usually done a certain way. And then we're like, but is there a different way that would like better fit our team? And I think that went all the way down from looking at the list of clothes to bring and being like, these are all like just one brand or whatever it was. And then being like, okay, well, do we want to wear these shoes or these shoes? Because you're going to be wearing these shoes for 12 hours a day and you have to figure out which ones are not going to give you blisters or whatever. And it kind of came down to every, it was, it was down to the smallest details, like wipes and toiletries and shoe choices to the biggest one like what is the role of the skipper and when we asked why does a team have to have a skipper and like what does that skipper do it was kind of an arbitrary like traditional role and so to best fit the personalities and the needs of our team we changed the role we were like we'll have a a pseudo skipper like someone who's in charge of decisions in emergencies, but they're not going to be the the main decision maker and everything. They're not going to be also the lead navigator. Like there was just so much, 
power that was with that role. And I think we chose to disperse it a little bit in a way that felt like a healthier dynamic for us. So I think our ability to kind of question everything and not take it as like, this is the way that it's done and more be like, what are the ways that it can be done and how are we going to choose to do it to optimize our performance together and as individuals, I think was a, a really great move on our part. Yeah, I agree. And it's interesting because I like at the time when all these decisions were being made and chosen is like a lot of times the thing that was said, I just remember DJ always saying this was something along the lines like, well, they did it that way. Yeah. Doesn't mean that we have to, or that's how it worked for them, but like what's going to work for us. And yeah, we didn't necessarily just like fall in line and become robots of this is how it's going to go. And these are the things that we need. And this is how we're going to do our training. And um, yeah, I, I mean, we even like, even Jason had, who wrote our physical training program, like he, he learned a lot about ocean rowing and he just took like the essence of what he knew from all of his other endurance sports that he's programmed and everything that he was learning while we were learning. But it was really non-conventional to like, use the coach that is not the coach that everybody uses that's like based in the UK. And it was like, we're going to just try something different. And it's, I think back to is like, it's about listening better, like listening to ourselves better, listening to what's needed by others better, listening to just, I don't know. I don't want to be like cheesy, but it's sort of like, you said you're like earlier, you're like, I wanted to do this. Yeah. And that's what I'm going to listen to. And that's what I'm going to keep listening to. Yeah. And everything else, like sometimes those voices can get super loud of like, it seems like maybe, and I remember this feeling back in like March of like, I think we need more time. And like that voice of like, we need more time. Cause that's what other people were telling me, mm-hmm. you know, this is, you know, reckless or whatever else. And it's just like, yeah. Now looking back, I'm like, I am so glad we did not wait a whole nother year to do this. Yeah. And like, you know, back to what I know about myself was like to have that hanging over us for that long mm-hmm. was, um, it, it, I mean, saying if we were to do it, have done it like this year, like leaving in, you know, a couple of weeks. Oh yeah. God, that's crazy. It's some, some of it's just like prolonging the inevitable of your yeah said this or like we're going to be as ready and we were as ready as we could be without having rowed across an ocean right we did every possible thing that we could do and and probably even I mean we did we did everything we could do and more but like that still includes what we could do and um what I last question I have for you before we wrap up our awesome conversation No, Adrian, I'm, having, I'm having so much fun talking to you. I know. <laughs> I was like, this is so great. Do you have to work today? Um, I don't have that much work today. I did a lot of it this morning. So I'm not, I'm not as like time strapped as I, as I usually am. Okay. Yeah. Um, but my question for you was, you know, before you finished the answers to the other questions I had asked, I was talking about your, you're doing this endurance race. That's going to be coming mm-hmm. up in September. Mm-hmm. And what does your life look like now in terms of your schedule with that on the horizon? 
as well as mm-hmm. working full time. Like you said, you got a lot of your work done this morning. So you're obviously very mm-hmm. good at managing your time. But mm-hmm. with that kind of essence that you've said to you, you would say to your younger self of relax more. Are you yes. putting are you putting that in with this new challenge that you're doing with the hundred miler? Like what does your day look like with all mm-hmm. of that learning that you've had over the last, you know, 26 plus years? But like this last year being, you know, I feel like what we did kind of, I don't want to say it like speed, it put us on a fast track for like realizations, but sort mm-hmm. of like, you, like, you, like we matured a little bit faster yeah. than maybe someone who had not undergone 15 minutes of, or 15 months of ocean rowing preparation and, yeah. and such. Yeah. So we did some, we signed up for something huge and yeah. it caused growth to be like exponential. I feel like in comparison yeah. to what it would have been like for me, had I not said yes to this. Yeah. I, I see that even with, you know, it's fun to like talk more in depth with you and with, with each other about it. Cause mm-hmm. we haven't done that one-on-one. Yeah. But like, what would you, what would you say about like how life's like for you now? Like, is it more relaxed? Are you training more relaxed? Are you doubting less? I think, I mean, from a training perspective, it's like, I have the same job currently that I did while we were um, preparing for the row. So my schedule for the middle of the week is generally the same, like working, you know, morning and into the afternoons. I usually try to do most of my training sessions in the morning. I just tend to be like a morning person. So that's, that's also pretty similar. I do have more time though, because I don't have, um, weather routing classes to take or CPR classes to take or at at the moment. So I'm kind of, I've been using kind of the evenings for, for other things and, you know, catching up on all the rain checks that I took while we were preparing last year and making new friends. And I, I think when we were preparing for the row and I've shared this with you before, I was coming from a place where I was kind of like loading again, like I was coming back into myself from a a period of a lot of numbness. And so I, I didn't care a lot like about really anything. And I think over the course of getting to show up, for the row and then actually getting to to do it and to feel so much joy and kind of what that commitment and consistency can bring out. It like reminded me a lot of, of who I am. And then it brought out parts of me that had kind of gone dormant over the last couple of years. And so, but I remember signing up for it and like agreeing to it. And I kind of had this feeling of, I didn't, I didn't know the risks of, of dying out in the ocean, but I, my mentality of it was like, as long as everybody else can get to shore safely, like I'll be fine. I I didn't have a life that I was like really attached to. And I didn't have a lot that I was really looking forward to. And I think the row was like my thing that helped me have something to look forward to. And yes, I have wonderful family and I have meaningful friendships and I've done been able to see a lot of cool parts of the world and experience a lot of amazing, fulfilling relationships and just experiences with racing and f- pursuing passions and stuff. And there was a part of me that was like, I think I've kind of done it. Like, I think I've done it all. And I was like, I don't really know what's left. And I'm, 
I'm kind of checked out. And so being able to do the row was my decision to kind of like give life another try. So then when I got back, I, my task for kind of this year was to just start laying the groundwork of like, what, what is the kind of life that I want that would make me in, if, if I ever had to decide like in some kind of life or death decision that would like make me want to like choose this life as opposed to being like a foot out the door or like detached from it or not really committed to it. Cause there's like a certain, there's like a certain freedom that comes when you're, when you're not really committed to something or you're like around because it's around, but you like wouldn't care so much if you lose it. And when we got back from the row, I was like, I think I want to see if I can see what I can construct of my life that it's one that I want to keep living and like one that if it came down to it is like worth fighting for. And that started with something as simple as like finding a place that I liked to live, like a comfortable place and starting to kind of build out my communities here in the Bay Area, which happens to be where I'm living now. And so I think I put a lot of emphasis on reminding myself like, okay, what are my values now? And what am I trying to incrementally work towards? And at the end of the day, do I like the essence of what I'm doing? And if I don't, then what can I change about it? But there's usually, um, for me, I like having definitely some sort of like routine and constants over like the whole week, which I've been able to, to establish. And then I also like having like flexibility to kind of like a miracle space. So I like leave kind of evenings open or if I make plans with somebody, then I'm like, I always tell them, I don't know if this is going to be fun, but it's going to be something and we'll see what it is when we get there. And whether that's going to like an event or like a new club or like trying a new sport or something. Um, I, I just try to keep as many kind of possibilities open as, as we can. And so I think putting an emphasis on, just being open to meeting people and doing things and not closing doors out of fear and more like opening them out of like love has been a big practice of, of mine coming, coming out of the row. If you were to describe the, the essence, use that word of if there was like one word or a phrase or something of that, you want to like bring forth in every day that you are living. Do you have one? I think, like integrity and coming into every day because one of my things that I do now is something very similar to what I did waking up for all the shifts for the for the row because when I don't know if people ask you this question as much anymore but they're like what was the hardest part and they always expect some kind of insane night or some big decision or something and and I I tell them for me personally the hardest part was some of the most continuously made like meticulous decisions. Like the hardest part was just getting up for every single shift and leaving your cocoon of a cabin to go out to conditions that you didn't know until you opened the window and getting on clothes that may or may not be wet or dirty. And, but I think the same is true in the life on land is that the hardest part, at least for me is usually just like getting up every day. 
And, but once you can kind of get up every day and just like get, get going. And the way that I would do it in the boat is I would take like three breaths and I would say something nice to myself and I'd be like, okay, we're going to sit up in like three, two, one. And I would sit up and I just kind of gently talk to myself as I would get my clothes on. And then I would come out and I'd be so happy that I was there. And I kind of do the same thing in my regular life now where I'll wake up and I'll take like three breaths and I'll sort of try to set an intention for the day. And then I'll go over like the list of what's going to happen, whether it's a weekend or whether it's a work day and kind of brief myself like, um, and then I'll be like, okay, we can do this. And I'll sit up and I'll make myself like a cup of tea and I'll just like get mentally ready. And so I think bringing in some kind of self-compassion and intention and integrity is like the essence that it, that it is right now. And those are just like, feels like training wheels, but as I do them, it becomes more habitual and then I can like build on that. Um, and I'll see where that goes, but yeah, that's well, where we are right now. Well, and that's so much of life is like, you know, there's not some grand storm happening every day. There's not some yeah. fire that we have to fight. It's more yeah. monotony of, oh, I gotta, I gotta, like you said, the hardest part was getting up six times a day. Yeah. Leaving a super cozy cocoon. Like, yeah. And I love <laughs> that you described it that socks way. Are just, <laughs> they were heaven. And yeah. to have to peel yourself out of those. Oh my God, Adrian, the worst. <laughs> yeah, especially because you do like sleeping regularly in small <laughs> confined spaces and sleeping bags. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but like it is, it's, I think sometimes we give ourselves a hard time about, oh my gosh, I'm having such a hard time, like getting out of bed or I don't feel motivated or whatever. And it's like, I'm not springing out of bed with like a firecracker lit underneath me every day, but but I do know that the essence of my life is one that I love. I love, you know, 90% of all the things that I get to do every day. And the other things that I don't love, I'm like, what can I change about these so that I like them a little bit more? And some of it's just having the forethought to say, I don't like cooking. Why? Why? I, I actually do, but I just don't have any food that I want to cook. So like that right. sucks. And, right. um, or even it could be just like you drink tea and I drink coffee. And it's like some of those little treats of like, while we were out at sea, I didn't, I hardly had any coffee because it wasn't my favorite thing. And it just took too much time and energy to like, try to drink a cup of <laughs> coffee and like also be like, Oh, I want it to be the right temperature and all those things. But it's, it's the, it, once we get going, it's yeah. like you said, once you open the door and you got on deck, you're like, I'm, this is where I want to be. Right. And I think I that's, think, the, yeah. that's the question to always ask in a daily life. Like right yeah. when you got back, you changed where you were living. Yeah. Well, I started looking. So I yeah. got back in August. I started looking for places in like end of August. I started looking for places in September. I found a place by October and I moved there in November. And that was like a big priority of mine. That was like, I wanted to sign a lease and move somewhere I liked. I wanted to take hip hop classes. And I wanted, I, and I, which I did. I went every, every Monday for like four months before I signed up for this hundred and then changed my schedule a little bit. But like, I'm going to go 
back after I, after I finished this race, but I went back with my list of things that I wanted to implement because I remember there were so many moments on the boat where, and I even took a couple of days off where I like, didn't even look at my phone or emails or anything, even though we had the vegan pulled up once a day. And I remember being like, there, I know that this journey is going to end because our goal is to get to Hawaii as fast as possible. So our, our, our goal is to actually finish this as fast as we can, which not as slow as possible to be clear. We wanted to make it to land. (laughs) Yeah. Um, but by the nature of just like the mileage, it was going to take at least a couple of weeks and every, I don't know, every day on while we were rowing, even in the really hard days, even when it was super flat and really hot with no wind, and all the food tasted bad, except for those Incan corn chips and your peanut M&Ms. I was just, I would re- take a moment and I would be like, there's nowhere that I would rather be than right here on this boat. And I was like, there's nothing I'd rather be doing because I, I love these people and I love rowing. I love being in by the water and I love being so kind of disconnected from a lot of kind of the everyday um, anxieties isn't the right word, maybe like burdens or like incumbents or something, but there was just something that felt so free out there in the simplicity of it. And I know what that feeling is like now to, to wake up and be like, there's nothing I'd rather be doing. And so to be able to find what that can like translate to in a life where you're not living at sea, because it was never meant to be a lifestyle for months and years or anything, but to be able to have that preview of like what it's like to just enjoy what you do and have periods of the day where it is like suckier than other periods of the day, i.e. my one to three shift because it was so hot, but <laughs> like, you don't love it every minute, but you love it every day. And so like, know that that is a possibility is to then be able to find what that looks like when you're not doing that thing that showed it to you is sort of my quest. And I think that's, I love that we did this athletic thing Yeah, that, you know, was, was the thing for us to conquer, right? It was like, it was, it was, it started in athleticism, like the connection that all of us had, right? But it yeah. became so much more than yeah. the growing part and the, the effort of rowing itself, um, you know, it's personally more physically demanding Mm-hmm. To those listening, like so many of my friends were like, every time I was on the rowing machine at like Orange Theory or at Rise Up or at Killer Bee or wherever they were at, they're like, I thought yeah. of you because I hated it so much. And I'm like, just mm-hmm. to be clear, we weren't going like sub two minutes per stroke. <laughs> yeah. Like, for, for 500 for the split. Right. It was, it was this slow, monotonous in a way journey that we had but what started was it's where it got started was that that we were each athletes but that's yeah. not the thing that um sets us also apart from everybody else because yeah as Brooke said I think really early on when we were doing interviews and even in just like the most recent article was I had shared I said like each one of us had superpowers yeah. Every single person does it. We are no different than any other person that this was just something we chose to do just the same way that someone else might choose to have five kids. Like that's not what I, my superpower is not raising a huge family. That's not what I yeah. want. But this, each yeah. day, if I can wake up to my life 
and say like, I love it. And what are the parts if I don't love them that I want to change? And I bring this up around the athleticism because people will also, I often think that athletics can be a form of avoidance is Mm -hmm. like, I'm going to avoid handling or dealing with something by Mm -hmm. doing this thing or signing up for this challenge. Or, you know, even I was just, I was stoked to leave for a while so that I didn't have to do any of the regular things that I had to normally do. To just like get a a break to like escape. But I think that that's the beauty of what we did was like, it was a long athletic endeavor, right? Where you get a break for a while and a break to then reset and a break to recalibrate what is it that I want my life to look like. And, you know, we all got that and we knew that we were going to get something from this, but we didn't know. And we're still going to keep getting something day by day and year by year that we didn't expect because we did something that was, you know, to most people insane. I mean, even to me, like you and I both would sit there on deck and back to what we first started talking about. I was like, this is so crazy. (laughs) I liked just (laughs) when we would make really funny skits of like all the variety of choice that we had with our food and with other things when we were so restricted (laughs) and had just like two flavors of oats that would pop out every day and we would have so much fun with them and we'd be like this is insane this is so wild like like to to personify being spectators to the thing that we were doing was one of the many ways of comedic relief that we (laughs) used but it was it was it was kind of funny to just be like this is kind of nuts but here we are. We are a thousand miles off the California coast. <laughs> yeah. Being nuts, but together. And I think, yeah. you know, it's crazy to think Libby that, you know, how many ever months ago, I didn't know you. Yeah. And well, let's see. We met in no, October. November. Virtually we met in October. Yeah. Of 2021. Yeah. So, so you can do the math. um it'll be two years in yeah so we met like 20 20 months ago yeah it'll be about two years in in four months yeah yeah and it's just I I think about how I don't know for each of us myself I can speak from myself as you know my life has gotten richer because of each because of you and each of the people that the women that rode with us and then our extended team and mm-hmm. um, signing up for something that was so bizarre. And, <laughs> but also knowing, I think what I want like people to hear is that sometimes it feels for myself, like I'm operating in this place of isolation of like, I'm the only mm-hmm. one that thinks this way. I'm the only one that would want to do this. I'm the only one mm-hmm. that wants life to look this way. And I think that we all have people that maybe we we haven't even met yet that have yes. the same interests and intrigue and essence for life that we desire. And mm-hmm. it doesn't happen. We don't get to meet them. We don't get to connect with them as humans when we don't put ourselves out there and do ballsy things like we did. And yeah. um, it doesn't have to be like an ocean row, but it's like, I don't know. 
going to, there's like so many places in town that I didn't even know existed here, but I've gotten a chance to see them because having a kid, I'm like, let's go into this shop or this little store. Yeah. And then I you just put on your like explorer hat. Yes. Yeah. So I, you know, just encourage people that are listening to, yeah, put on their explorer hat and, 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 and not, and not seek for the sake of lack but seek for the sake of, you know, that there is like this beauty in our life. That's like, even yeah. ourselves, that's like, just, it's waiting for us to start to like uncover and excavate it. And yeah. Yeah. And you don't have to row across an ocean to do such a thing. <laughs> yeah. You can though. And if you do, it could be really fun. Totally it could I, it could be, I won't promise it'll be fun, but I promise it'll be something. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Last final question I have for you. I said I had a last one, but the last, this last okay. one is, would okay. you ever at this moment in time, the person yeah. that I'm asking this question to you at this moment, would okay. you ever want to row across an ocean by yourself? By myself? Let's see. Okay. No, I don't think at this moment in time that I would want to row across an ocean by myself. And it's not because I don't think I could do it because I, I know that I could, but I also know that I don't have anything to prove. I love being teammates with people. I love bringing out the best in others. And I think that the nature of working as a team or having someone that you can really rely on and build something with brings out the best in me. And if I were to do another type of big, like extreme event, like an ocean row, or I guess I should say when I do another type of extreme event, like an ocean row, I know that the best parts of me come out and therefore I can like bring out the best in others when I'm like working together in like a a collaborative setting. So I, I have interest in rowing maybe another ocean and doing something of that sort, but I really like working on teams. I think it is like such a wonderful experience. And so I wouldn't want, if I had the choice, I don't think I would row an ocean alone just because I don't think that I need to. Are you, are you fully resigned to your not wanting to row another ocean again um, at, the, at this moment? At this moment in time, I have no interest. And the reason I'll answer that question is you said earlier about when you were on the boat and you said to yourself, like, there's no other place that I would rather be than right here. And I had a lot of moments when I had the opposite thought of like, there Mm. are so many other places that I would rather be. And I'll say two things about that is. I made the most of every moment and realized like, well, well, here you are. This is where you are at. So like make the most of it, you know? And we did, and I did, and I had fun. And there was moments just like everyone does in life where you're like, I don't want to eat this again, but (laughs) the choices. Right. And then, and then I was the one that like got down and I was like laying on the deck and like searching for like the last of the food and was like found the last extra ramen packets and was like, yeah, you did. Right. Made my whole day. I cried that day. (laughs) I felt like such a hero. That was like my hero moment was like finding like the last things that we didn't know were even there. 
or Side note, though, you had you had many hero moments, but that that was one of them. That was a huge one. That was a huge one. I just felt so I felt like my desire for service and like wanting to like fix something for everybody else, <laughs> which yeah. is like one of my, you know, best and worst qualities at times. Yeah. Was, like, realize that moment. Um, and I also can remember so many little moments, like we were talking about, you know, the, the whoops of so many things is when I actually shared that I needed, I'm like, I really would like some more crunchy snacks. I didn't pack enough. (laughs) And then all of a sudden there was like a crunchy snack share pile. And I was like, Oh, I feel so hurt. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Those moments that, you know, They've never gotten captured in any interview that we've ever done because we haven't been really talking to each other. We've been talking to other people that yeah. weren't in this with us. Um, mm-hmm. So there's like, I I loved so much of our experience and my experience out there. And I wouldn't mm-hmm. ever go back and, and do it differently because I mm-hmm. that's not how I live my life. Yeah. But the thing that it showed me was that I wasn't living my life the way that I wanted to live it. And so... Mm-hmm there was a lot of playing the victim for me, a lot of like blame and not like of our team, but just like of life in general of like, you know, looking back a couple of years, like owning a yoga studio and having like the, the world close it down. And, Mm -hmm. and then just like all of that, just like anger and resentment, like it started Mm -hmm. to surface when I said yes to doing something so bizarre as this ocean row. Yeah kind of whatever against all odds the non-rower which as we've discussed doesn't really yeah Um, yeah but I wasn't living the life that I wanted on my terms and so you know now it's like Reese's last day of school is tomorrow and I want to spend time with her and yeah and I think about like if I can do anything and spend my time however I want to spend it for the foreseeable future while she's little and around and like, I want to be with her and like, or she wants to be with you. Right. Right. Like that's what we're going to do. Or like, I, you know, live in a cool place that's usually sunny, but it hasn't been very much this last year is like, I've started thinking about like, do I want to keep living here? Like the expectation. And it's not, it's not some external thing that's like making me happy or bringing me joy, but it's more of like, Mm -hmm. I want to do this, this, and this. And so I'm going to do it versus anyone putting some sort of parameters around what my life should look like, what it looks like to, you know, live in Santa Barbara or the kind of house you have, or Mm -hmm. how much time you spend with your kid, or as a woman, like how much you work and then stay home and dedicate to housework. And I'm just like, just been much more living from a place of like, well, I want to do this. So I'm going to if yeah. even, like the wanting is like, I want to clean out my closets. Yeah. I'm going to. And so like the, all that to be said is I, I, th- I think before I left, I wasn't giving myself the chance to um, have some of the, like you used it. You said like, I don't have anything to prove. Yeah. And I, I think it, it, it took this for me to see that, to see that I, mm-hmm. I don't have to put in an X number of hours a week. I don't have to have this much money in the bank. I don't have to make, have this many people attend a yoga class. I don't, and, and all of that mm-hmm. to be said around like, to, to feel like worthy and yeah. 
I remember, I remember hearing, I think it was a podcast where Perusha was on and she, I think it was the ocean rowing club podcast, one of those. And she mm-hmm. said that after it all, she just like realized that she was worth it and like, yeah, didn't have to do anything else to like prove that to herself. And, yeah. and that's like, I think been the thing in the background for me for so long as, you know, yeah. for whatever reason, whatever drove that boat, that direction for me. But mm-hmm. uh, it's really nice to just not have that be running the show and be like, yeah, I could, if I wanted to, I could, if I wanted to row solo, I could, but yeah, down to it. I don't want to. And I don't even need to give you a reason. I just don't want to. Well, actually I, to just change or to make note of that language though, I think that wanting or not wanting to do something is reason enough. Mm-hmm. Like that can be the reason it's just, I don't want to. And like, that's all you, you don't, you don't have to like say anything more than that. Yeah. I mean, Reese has no problems when I ask her, like, do you want to wear this shirt? No. Why? I don't want to. Fair. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I think that simplicity use the word simplicity too, about like life is, yeah. I think like back to that, that being enough is like saying I want to, or I don't want to, and that's enough. Yeah. And you've alluded to the, to like having that internal feeling of like, do you expand or do you feel like you constrict and have it like, and having that be like a, a translator, like a bio indicator of like, do I actually want to, or like, and like understanding, am I constricting from a place of fear or from a place of like, I just don't want to, and like understanding what your past behaviors would lead you to do and like what your current mindset would lead you to do and like deciding based on like what your body is telling you. Yeah. Which and I think, I think really like important. to be clear on that too, is like, I, I don't get up ever just back to like the whole, like getting out of bed thing every day. It's like, yeah, some people will see like, they're like, Oh my God, I'm so jealous that I've had someone say this to me before. They're like, you just like love working out. And I was like, let me be clear. I don't <laughs> always love exercising, but I know yeah. that I always feel better when I do. So I know that about myself, that that's going to lead to more expansion, even if I'm just like, I don't want to work out today. I don't feel like going to the gym. I don't want to go for a run or I don't want to do the blah, 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 blah. But I just know that the better version of myself is like, you should do that because you know that it's good for you. Yeah. Like the tomorrow you is going to thank you or like the afternoon you is going to be like, that was a great decision. And morning you was like, all right, well, I'll meet you there in the afternoon. Yeah. <laughs> See you later, morning you. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for listening. If what you heard today lit you up in any way, please take the time to subscribe, like, and share the podcast with your friends. It'll help us reach more people in courageously and confidently rocking life. Make sure you follow me on Instagram to see the messy fun I'm up to at the Adrian Smith. And check out my current wellness events and coaching programs on my website, alignedlivingnow.com. I look forward to being with you next week. Until then, get messy.